there's not a person here today who doesn't have some type, whether it's a mental, emotional, it, it might be a physical issue, but there, it might be a relational issue. There's some type, it might be a spiritual issue. You have something in your life that haunts you. It, it comes along and it grips you and it keeps you from being who and what God created you to be. Let me make this very clear to you today. If you don't hear anything else in the sermon today, I want you to know that God created you for greatness. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make do-overs. God creates people and he molds them to carry out his mission and we were created for greatness. Yet so few of us ever experience the greatness that we were created for. And one of the reasons we allow things to come along and haunt us, that they come along when life is going great and when everything is going smooth and we almost think, man, when's the other shoe going to drop? And bam, the other shoe drops because we allow these things to haunt us. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about those things. The first week we talked about our past haunts so many of us things that we did in our past continually get brought up and we continue to bring them up and we can't let them go and they come along and things going good and we almost self-sabotage. We don't think we deserve the goodness that we're receiving. Last week we talked about unforgiveness affects us. We talked about holding a grudge towards those who have hurt you. And we gave you some Clue into what forgiveness looks like. Forgiveness is not justifying. It's not pardoning. It's not forgetting. It's not saying that what you did to me was okay. We talked about how forgiveness is not even for the person who hurts you. Forgiveness is for yourself. And it's one of the greatest gifts that you can give yourself. And so many people can't move on in life because they're holding a grudge to those that have hurt them. Today, we're actually going to stay on that same subject of forgiveness, but we're going to be looking at forgiving someone else, not those that hurt us. We're going to be looking at forgiving ourselves for the hurt that we've caused. I asked a question one time on social media. I said, who is the hardest, who is the person that you have the hardest time forgiving? I asked them to DM me, text me, email me. And I got over 300 responses from people. Listen to this. Over 80% of the responses, that's a staggering number. Over 80% of the responses said the hardest person for me to forgive is myself. Think about that for a minute, ourselves. The honesty was actually shocking to me. There's a lot of people carrying around a lot of hurt. And there's a lot of people that have done horrible things to us that we come along and we forgive them for hurting us, yet we can't forgive ourselves for the hurt that we inflicted. Can I be honest with you today? I can relate to that. I can connect with that thought. There's nothing worse than knowing you've hurt somebody, you've done someone wrong, whether it was intentionally or unintentionally, and to know that your actions have caused somebody else pain. I've had different people in my life hurt me. I've had different people in my life that have ripped me off. 
I've had different people in my life that have done things to me that might seem unforgivable, but I've learned the biblical way to forgive, and I've given myself the gift of forgiveness when it comes to them. Yet the reality is I can still get in the tendency where I punish myself for my own actions. (laughs) In my life, the hardest person to forgive is me. Because the reality is, is, I've ripped people off in life. I've broken trust in life. I've hurt my wife with my decisions. I've hurt my kids with my decisions. The reality is I've lied. I've stolen. I've cheated. I've just, I know you're going to find this shocking. I've been a real a-hole to people who didn't deserve it. Shocker, I know. In my life, if I was driving a school bus, there'd be a mound of people piled up behind me that I've run over. And I try to act like, man, that's just life. It happens. But the reality is it's hard to know your actions, your behaviors have hurt other people. The reality is, is, I know Christ has forgiven me, but I have a hard time forgiving myself. I I can be a guilt-ridden person. What I like to do with those issues of me hurting other people is I like to handle it in a real healthy way. I like to push it down. Let's never talk about it. Let's never deal with it. Let's never get healing in it. But the problem is, the more you push stuff down the tighter it gets and it starts to build up. You ever push something into a container? You push something into the trash can? You push something into something and you just made it fit? You just kept mashing it down and mashing it? But finally, when it can hold no more, it explodes and everything you push down comes out. That's what happens to me when Satan comes along and he reminds me of the hurt that I've caused other people. The reality is, is forgiving ourselves is hard. We beat ourselves up worse than anybody else can. But Satan loves to come along and remind us. And there's not a one of us here today who hasn't hurt somebody. And at one time or another, we struggle with the hurt that we have caused other people. And we struggle forgiving ourselves. I I find it easier to forgive others than I can me. It's just a struggle. But the problem is, by not forgiving ourselves for the actions that we have done or the actions that we have caused or the consequences that we have caused, we allow the enemy to come along and begin to haunt us, to remind us, to make us feel like we don't deserve what we're getting out of life, that, 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 that we're not a good person. <laughs> I had this internal battle that goes on. And the reality is, if we were to be honest today, nobody beats ourselves up more than ourselves. In a room this size, there's a lot of people who are struggling with this issue. There's a lot of people who are beating themselves up. There's a lot of people in this room today. I dare say, in some issue, everybody in this room Unless you literally have no heart and no soul, there's something in your life that you did to someone else that from time to time 
comes back and it haunts you. And we struggle with releasing ourselves. And here's the deal. The person that we hurt could have already forgiven us. We could have done everything in our power to make amends to everybody affected by the decisions we made. But the reality is we still beat ourselves up. We live with the guilt of our actions. Maybe you went through a rebellious period in your life and you're struggling with it. Maybe you physically hurt somebody and you're struggling with it. Maybe you said something verbally to somebody and you can never take it back. You've heard me say it many times. The biggest lie we tell our kids is sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Words hurt. They get embedded in our brain and the replay happens over and over and over. Maybe you find yourself wrapped up in an affair. Maybe you did something when you were younger and you live with the regret of that. Maybe you knew something bad was happening to someone else and you didn't stop it. I've been listening to the, I don't know if you've heard the story, the doctor death story of the doctor in Texas. And I was listening to the podcast recently this week of this guy and this doctor, 33 people in a row, surgeries. He, he maimed them. Some died, some were paralyzed. And they almost said he was almost just psychotic in hurting these people. And over and over and over throughout the podcast, they said they were talking to nurses and people in the surgery rooms. And they said, we saw it happening. We didn't know how to stop it. So we didn't stop it. And we live with the guilt. We didn't do it to these people. We didn't stop it from happening. So maybe you're in that boat. Maybe you let your family down. Maybe your choices, even unintentionally in your actions, hurt people that you care about. Maybe you, you just can't forgive yourself because you let yourself go. You didn't take care of your body, and now, now you can't function in a way, and you're basically doing all you can to get through life because you haven't taken care of your body. Maybe you weren't there enough for your kids. I don't know. We could go on and on and on and on all day long saying what you may have did. The reality is you already know what you did. The minute I started preaching this message today, it popped up in your mind like a movie screen. Your heart started to pound a little bit faster. You got those dry sweats. You started to feel the conviction, and the enemy started trying to beat you up before I ever even tell you how to deal with it. Because what the enemy wants to do today is, while I'm teaching you how to overcome that, he wants to keep replaying it in your mind and telling you that you'll never overcome it. He wants to tell you that you're not good enough today, that that God can forgive everybody, but he can't forgive you because, man, look what you did. So actually, we're going to do something I don't do very often. We're going to pray before I finish this sermon. Because I literally believe this sermon will be a moment of healing for so many of you. And I refuse to allow the enemy to sidetrack any of you today. So let's pray real quick. Lord, we come to you today. Lord, we thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for grace. We thank you that greater is you that is in us than he that is in the world. Lord, I pray today you would give clarity of minds to people. Today would be a day of healing for people. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. And we thank you for forgiveness, even for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to understand something. If you have your camera phones, take it out, take a picture of the screen. But I want you to understand this. You will never live the life God wants you to live 
until you make the choice to forgive yourself. You'll never live the life God wants you to live until you make the choice to forgive yourself. You will rob yourself of the life you were created for if you're living with guilt. You will rob yourself of the life God created you for if you're living with shame. You've got to release yourself in order for God to use you. There's a story in the New Testament about a dude named Peter. I dig Peter, man. Peter was one of the 12. Jesus had 12 disciples. They followed him. They walked with him. They talked with him. They learned from him. And amongst the 12, he had an inner circle of three. And Peter was one of the three. Peter was a loyalty guy. He, he, he was all out, sold out to Jesus. He was willing to die to protect Jesus. But he screwed up. But he messed up. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Luke 22. If you don't, don't worry, they'll be on the screen. The meaning and the inspiration doesn't lose when it goes from the pages to the screen, trust me. Jesus has been taken into custody. He's about to be tried. He's about to be crucified. A large crowd has gathered around. And in the crowd, hiding, hiding is Peter. He's hiding because he's operating in fear now. He's fearful of being killed. He's fearful of them associating him with Jesus. And so he's hiding out, but his heart's troubled and he wants to see what's going on. And so he's hiding out among the crowd. He's got his face covered. Somebody notices. And now Peter is faced with the decision, do I take a stand for Christ or do I deny even knowing him? And the Bible says in Luke 22, right about verse 54, then seizing him, they led him away. And they took him to the house of the high priest. So him being Jesus, they've seized Jesus, they've taken him to the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. That's a whole sermon right there. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked close to him and said, man was with him. But he denied it. Peter could have taken a stand right here. He could have lived by his convictions. Hello, do we live in a time where we always live by our convictions? He could stand on his principles. He could stand on what was right, even if it cost him everything. But verse 57 says, but he denied it. Woman, I do not know him. Strike one. A little bit later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not. Peter replied, right. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him. There's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I do not know what you're talking about. As he was speaking, a rooster crowed. That's significant. Is there. Strike one, strike two, strike three. The rooster crows, you say, what's the importance of that? The importance of that is Jesus told Peter that would happen. He said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me. Peter was talking big. Peter was being bolsterous. Peter was like, I'll stand with you. I'll fight to the end. And Jesus said, no, you won't. I love you, and I don't doubt your love for me. But when, when the rubber hits the road, you're going to deny me three times. Never, Peter said. Strike one. Strike two. Strike three. 
the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. He's on trial. He gave him that look. You know that look. You've given your kids that look. That I told you so look. Men, your wife gives you that look at least three times a week. That was the look. The Lord returned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him. For the rooster crows today, he would have sown me three times. Verse 62. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. You want to talk about guilt. I mean, imagine what Peter's feeling in this moment. Peter's the one. He's not just part of the twelve. He's just not part of the three. He was the one. He was the right-hand man. Of all the disciples who followed Jesus, Peter was the closest to him. Think about this. He saw all the miracles. He heard all the teachings. For God's sake, he walked on water. Peter got out of the boat, walked on water because his eyes were on Jesus. If anybody should have been strong in their faith, if anybody should have been strong in their conviction, if anybody should have said, man, you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything, if anybody said, man, this is my line in the sand, it should have been Peter, and not one time, not two times, but three times. He denied even knowing. I mean, when they came to take Jesus away, Peter pulled out his sword and chopped off one of the soldier's ears. You couldn't be more all in than Peter was. But everybody comes to their breaking point where their convictions will either make them or they'll break them. I see it every day, actually, in our society right now. It's amazing to me. Convictions, convictions, convictions. Oh, yeah, but I, I know what they were going to do if I didn't do this. Get it. That's not even on the same scale as this. I dealt with this recently. I had to call people. I said, man, my convictions are this. But if I stand on my convictions, I'm going to lose this thousands of dollars. What do I do? I struggled with it. In that instance, that doesn't mean I'll always do it. In that instance, I was able to stand and say, take of it. I don't care. But I, I don't know. You come along and you put me in another situation. I don't know that I take that stand. So I'm not judging Peter here. I'm actually feeling the weight of Peter here. I'm feeling heartache for Peter. He went out and he wept bitterly, and I get the guilt that he felt. And now he's denied Christ three times. Strike one, strike two, strike three, you're out. Peter's now dealing with the guilt and the shame and the weight of needing to forgive himself. I just think that's such a telling verse. He went outside and he wept bitterly. 
You ever been in a situation where you've wept uncontrollably? Where you can't stop the crying, not because of physical pain, but because of emotional pain, because your heart has literally been broken by your own actions. You didn't think your actions would affect anybody but you. And now you have seen the tsunami of your actions as they destroyed everything around you. Been there, done that, got the scars to prove it, got the t-shirt to prove it, got the heartache to prove it. Sucks. And you can't go back in a time machine and undo it. If only I could go back, I'd handle this different. Reality is, what you ended up hurting someone with, you never intended for it to get that big. It probably started real small. Then you had to cover that up and it got bigger. And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, literally, life as you know it is on the ropes. You're staggered and life's just punching and punching. But somehow, you get out of it. You come back. You begin to rebuild. But you deal with the guilt that you put yourself in that position to begin with. Miserable sucks, and it will haunt you if you allow it. This could have shaped Peter's life. This could have changed the course of who Peter became. We've all been where Peter is. I got to be honest, it's easy for me to be judgmental. Finally, you know what I would have done? We always made it. We're always Monday morning quarterbacks, aren't we? It's always easy to say what we would have done had we had it to do over again. It's always easy to say what we would have done if we weren't involved in the emotion of the decision. Peter knew what he'd done. No one had to tell Peter he screwed up. How many of you have ever screwed up in life? Don't you love when you screwed up in life? And your friends call you. Man, you, you messed up. What? Like, I remember buddies calling me and being like, Man, you messed up. What? what? Lost my job because of my mess up here. Thank you. I didn't know that's why. I just lost my fam. Thank you for telling me I messed up. I was on the front page of the paper. I didn't realize it. Thank you for telling me what I already knew. No one had to tell Peter he messed up. He knew it. Peter had done the one thing he said he would never do. One thing I have learned in life is I tell I will never Say never. Never. I never look at her and say, this will never happen. Because, man, when I say it, that means I've got arrogant, cocky. 
I can say, man, I, I, I will do my best to never put myself in this position. If I get in this position, here's how I will handle the situation. But I never say never because it's a dangerous thing. Peter said, I'll never deny. Satan comes along and says, got him. He's cocky in that area. He's arrogant in that area. He might not even realize he's cocky and arrogant, but he just said never, and I'm coming along for that. The one area he said he'd never do, and he did it. Can you imagine the guilt he felt? Can you imagine the anger Peter felt at himself? Can you imagine what type of failure Peter felt like? It ate away at him. He replayed it over and over. It ate away at him to the point that in John 21, 3, he said this, I'm going out to fish. Now you need to understand the context of that rednecks. He wasn't saying, I'm going out to fish like, I'm going to go fishing, I don't care. Not what that means. I know what some of you are saying, that sounds great, I'm going to go fishing. No, he, he, he was saying, there's nothing left from me in my current life. I guess I'll go back to what I was before. When Jesus found Peter, he was just a fisherman. You understand, in this day and time, to be a fisherman, they were kind of the low lowlifes, they were kind of the, the, the white trash, the uneducated. All they could do was go out on a boat and cast a net and catch fish. He's not saying, I'm going to go chill on the bank, crack open a Budweiser, and fish. He's saying, I go out and do the only thing I know to do. I'm going to return to what I was before Jesus. Because in his mind, there's no way Jesus would still want anything to do. <laughs> the weight is hanging on his shoulders. The replay tape is playing over and over and over and over and over and over and over. He could not forgive himself. And there was part of him, whether he liked it or not, was wondering if the Lord could forgive him too. Going out to fish. I've messed up so bad that no one's going to want a relationship with me. I've messed up so bad that how can I go and talk about Jesus when I denied him three times? I'm going to go back to what I was. Then something happened. Jesus walks up on the scene. Because remember, he only stayed dead for three days in case you forgot. He died for our sin. But he conquered death to pay the payment for our sin. He rose from the grave for you and I. And now he's chilling, walking around. Talked about that a couple weeks ago. We talked about Thomas, doubting Thomas. Now Peter's going fishing. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, walk back up. I can imagine Peter, man. Jesus walks back up. They're eating. You know Peter. He didn't want to make eye contact with Jesus. You know how it is when you've done somebody wrong? Dark. elephant in the room. But Jesus is about to break that tension. He said, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. You love me? Help me. I, I, I think he probably had a tear coming down his face. I can just picture it. I love you. Thinking, I know I let you down. I know you don't believe it, but I love you. Without you. You love me? Go fulfill your purpose. Again. Said, Simon, son of John, love me? Answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Care of my sheep. Just feed them. He was talking about the word of God. Take care of them. He meant walk along with them. Walk alongside of them. Third time he said to him, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Jesus comes to him in three times. He wants to let him know I'm forgiving you for everything, every time. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? I think this is telling right here. Peter was hurt. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Do not miss this. He wasn't hurt with Jesus. He knew he had a right for Jesus to ask him whatever he wanted to ask him. That guilt reared back up. He was hurt with himself. That he put Jesus in the situation, in the position that he had to ask. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Lord, you know all the things. You know everything. You know I love you. And feed my <laughs> Jesus was allowing Peter to know he was forgiven. And then he gave him a mission so Peter could forgive himself. Strike one, love me. Strike two, love me. Strike three, do you love me? I forgive you. Nine. But as long as you're beating yourself up, as long as you're carrying around that guilt, as long as the enemy has set up camp in your mind, you can't fulfill the mission I have you on earth to fulfill. I need you to get busy doing what I called you to do. That's good preaching. I'm here to tell you today that if you've messed up, you've screwed up, all of you, me included, God forgives you. And who are you not to forgive? Because not, by not forgiving yourself, you're hindering yourself from doing what God called you to do. Let me make it clear, you can't change it. Can't go back in time and make it better. You weren't a good mom to your kids growing up. Nothing you can do to change that. Except start being a good mom now that they're adults. You can't go back and change the first ever how many years of your marriage where you were a crappy husband. Nothing you can do. No amount of doing good, don't miss this, being a good husband is going to erase the times you were a bad husband. You can be a good husband now, a godly husband. Things you said to your parents, I don't know that if every kid's done this, but I did. I'll never forget. To this day, I can close my eyes, visualize where I was, Taco Bell parking lot, Lawrenceville, Georgia, 
And I looked at my dad in that part, and I said, I hate your Man, I'm 16. I'm 45 now. And I can still remember it. I can remember the hurt of my dad's eyes when I said it. I can remember the look on his face of shock. I can remember the instant regret of it coming out. And no matter what I do, I can't go back and change it. But I can also not beat myself up about it. I have a dad who loves me and has given me, who now knows very much how I feel about him. Just got to move forward in your guilt. Some of you have been holding on on to unforgiveness towards yourself for so long that you've literally wasted those years of your life. But the formula on forgiving yourself is right here. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to realize everyone screws up. Everyone. It's so simple, yet it's so huge. It's the height of arrogance to think I won't screw up. How cocky do you have to be to think you'll never mess up? If you're a parent, guess what? You'll do something stupid as a parent. If you're a spouse, you will do something stupid as a spouse. If you're an employee, you will do something stupid as an employee. If you're a kid, you will do multiple things stupid as a kid. If you're a pastor, you will do something stupid as a pastor. As a church member, you'll do something stupid as a church member. Everyone screws up. You're not special because you screw up. You're not a worse person than other people because you screwed up. It doesn't give me a license to screw up by accepting it, but the fact of the matter is there isn't a person in life who hasn't screwed up or isn't screwing up right now. You'll screw up. You say, why is this so important? Because you've got to accept the fact that we're going to mess up before you can let go of messing up. Look what the Bible says. I read this first time. Romans 3.10, it's written, there's none righteous. No, not even one. Not one. Not one person is righteous. Righteous means perfection. You're not. I hate to burst your bubble. Romans 3.23, for all of sin. All of sin, and they fall short of the glory of God. Glory of God's perfection. You fall short of that glory. God knew you fell short of that glory. He knew I fell short of that glory. Hence why he sent his son to pay the price for our sin. We all screw up. When you're holding on to unforgiveness for yourself, you're, oh, when you're holding on to unforgiveness for yourself, you know what you're saying? You're saying you're on par with God. And you shouldn't mess up. You're not God. Therefore, you're going to mess up. You're, you're holding yourself to an expectation that cannot be met. You're bound for disaster because you set a standard that is so high, it's impossible to live up to. Turn to the person next to you and just say, man, I've screwed up. Now, let's do that better. I, look, I know you're a white church, and I know half of you are already asleep right now, so let's wake up. Everybody stand up for one second. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. I know you don't like to stand up during worship. Let's stand up for one second. Now, I want you to look to the person to your right and say, man, I have screwed up. I want you to look to the person to your left and say, I have screwed up. 
I want you to look to the person behind you and say, I've screwed up. Now listen, stop, stop, stop. Now I want you to look to the person to your right and say, no joke, you've screwed up. Now look to the person to your left and say, no joke, you've screwed up. Look to the person behind you and say, no joke, you've screwed up. You can sit down. Everybody here has screwed up. One of the biggest reasons in life that we screw up is because we think we're above screwing up. That won't happen to me. We love to judge other people who sin differently than we do. Arrogance. Who are we to talk trash about anybody? You're arrogant. Your religiosity is showing. And you're about to fall. I can spot it a mile away. On this doctor death thing, they were talking about this doctor, how he was up and coming, he was the brightest of the brightest, and his arrogance became so high and mighty that he thought he was above messing up, even when he was messing up. Man, we hold people to some standard. There's nobody here perfect. It's so simple. It's so simple. Wow, Gary, earth-shattering. Everyone screws up. But I've realized this is a life-changing principle to accept because you can never get healing until you accept that you're going to mess up. It's important to realize everyone screws up because it's important for you to realize you're not alone. That's the reason so much guilt and unforgiveness for so many of us. We can't forgive ourselves because we think, man, we're the only one that would do that. The only one that would do that. No, no, there's so many that have done it. So many that have done it. This is a book full of people who screwed up. I mean, think about it today. You're, you're sitting wherever talking smack about people in the church. And yet God looked down and said, look at that Moses guy. I mean, he killed a dude. I can use him. He looked over there and said, Samson, look at that dude over there. He loved women more than his covenant with God. I'm going to use that guy. David, look at that guy. Not only did he have an affair, then he had her husband killed. I'm going to do great things to that guy. Look at that guy, Paul. He murdered Christians. Change his life and use that guy. Peter in our text here, denied even knowing Christ. What I'm saying is this is a book full of screwed up people who God still used. You're not alone. Man, quit holding on to something you can't control. Realize everyone screws up. The second thing we need to do is we need to remember that Jesus paid the price for your sins, for our sins. So you screwed up, you messed up, you sinned. Nothing you can do about it. You know why? Because it's already been handled. 1 John 2, 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. He already atoned for your sins. But I know some of you argue with that, so let me give you another one. Psalm 63, 3, when we are overwhelmed by sin, anybody been overwhelmed by your sin, your actions? 
You forgive our transgressions. Acts 13, 30, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death. That's a powerful verse right there. The Bible actually says there's a payment for our screw-ups. There's a payment for our sin. And that's death. That's not talking about a physical death if you break it down in the original language. It's talking about a spiritual death separated from God. So because we're sinners, who sinners we are? We screw up. Who effed up? We do. The person to your right screwed up. The person to your left screwed up. The person behind you screwed up. Oh, the person sitting in your seat screwed up. And because we screw up, there's a payment for our sins separated from God. But, you know my philosophy, I love buts. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We've been forgiven of our sin. We all sin. There's never been anybody but Jesus who didn't sin. And the fact that we sin presents a problem. Payments do for our sin. But Christ paid the payment. What's the old saying? Um, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he didn't owe. (laughs) Because of our sin, we're separated from God. But Christ loves us. What I'm saying today is, you messed up, and you're forgiven. I don't think you heard me because you wouldn't have sat there all silent. I said, you... You, especially you, you, Mike, so this group big time over here, screwed up, and yet you're forgiven, yet you won't forgive yourself. What an insult to the giver of the gift. How insulting! You give me a gift. But that's exactly what you do to Jesus when you don't forgive yourself. I run into people all the time from my past. You know what I've learned is people love to see you suffer because they're miserable. Man, I tell you, one of the truest things ever is misery loves company. Miserable people love to see other people miserable. Matter of fact, I think we take more joy in watching people fail than we do watching people succeed. Mind-boggling. We love it. We love to gossip about it. I run into people all the time who literally get mad that 12 years later, I'm happy in life. But I'm forgiven. It'll be a cold day in hell before I let my past define the rest of my life. I'm 45 years old. With technology and stuff like that, man, I think I got like 110 more years to live. Shut up, Jerry. Listen. I probably got 25, 30, 40 more years to hopeful. That's a long time. 
almost as much time as I've been alive. So you think I'm going to let what happened yesterday affect today and affect tomorrow? Why would you punish yourself when you've been forgiven? So we're going to remember that Jesus paid our price for our sin. We're going to, don't don't miss this, I'm going to camp out here for a minute. We're going to return to Jesus. Chose that word specifically. Here's something I've learned about myself when I'm going through times of unforgiveness. It is usually during the times of unforgiveness in my life, especially towards myself, it's during those times that I'm not in my personal walk where I should be with Jesus. If this is all you get at Jesus, no wonder you struggle with unforgiveness. If you only ate one meal a week, you wouldn't be healthy. As my personal worship time with Christ goes, so I go. When I get so busy that I don't have time to start my day in the Word or start my day in prayer or I'm listening to things that are focusing on the things of Jesus, resentment builds up, bitterness builds up, anger builds up, stress builds up, anxiety builds up, lack of faith builds up. But as I'm in tune with Jesus, my time with Jesus is good. Remember, we talk about relationship, not religion. If you didn't devote time to your relationship with your spouse, your marriage would not be good. So why do we think if we don't devote time to our relationship with Christ, that it would be healthy? We have to return to that. Jesus wants to be first in our lives, yet we tend to push into the back burner. Peter had done this. Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. He'd already been to the tomb. He'd already seen it empty. He knew Jesus said he was going to raise from the dead. And yet he says, I'm, I'm going fishing. Not, man, I'm, I'm going to go find. And let him know I, I'm sorry for what I did. And we're guilty of that. We screw up. We were to be honest today. If you were to be honest, I know it's church, it's hard to be honest. But you get to be honest to yourself. I'm not going to ask you to be out loud. How's your one-on-one time with Christ? How's your time of personal worship? When was the last time you opened up God's Word and you actually read His Word? What's going on in your life? When was the last time you were just still and listened for the voice of God? When was the last time you asked forgiveness of your sins? When was the last time you and Jesus just had some you and Jesus? What's that mean? You've got to ask, man, you're missing out. If God has taught me anything over the last ever how many years of my life, it's the importance of personal work. When we're not clicking, when things are not going good in our lives, we've got a new question. Hey, how's your time with God? Because as our time with God goes, so goes our time in every other area of our life. Turning point in Peter's life was when he got back into fellowship. Look what the Bible says. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. So he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered, I dig this. I dig this. You got to catch it. Check it. 
They went back to what they used to be. And Jesus came to them. Jesus comes where you are. He comes to you in the midst of your sin. In the midst of your screw-ups. And he's kind of a little smart aleck. Caught any fish? No, they answered. And in the midst of them going back to what they used to, he blesses them. He says, hey, throw your net out on the right side of the boat. Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of a large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, I love it. The disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who denied him three times, and yet Jesus still loved him and identified him as the one. Peter said, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped the garter garment around him, and he jumped into the water. I, I'm just going to be honest with what I believe he said. I believe he looked down and said, that's Jesus. Wrapped his garment. He said, why did he wrap it? He had to wrap his garment because it was a robe. If he got wet, it would have brought him down. He had to wrap it where it was tight. He dove into the water, and he said, to the shore, he returned. That's good. That's good. Peter knew he had to get back to Jesus. He couldn't wait for the boat to get to the shore. He had to get back. His life was a mess of guilt, shame, unforgiveness. Couldn't forgive himself. He had to get back to Jesus. He jumped out of the boat and he swam to the shore to get back to Jesus. You need to get back to Jesus. Pull this out. Blow the dust off of it. Open it up. Turn on some worship music. Have some one-on-one. Well, I'm going to step on some toes right here. I understand there's some things that are sacred. Get off social media and just listen for Jesus. That still, all voice. Return to Jesus. I can't forgive myself in the natural. Got to have the supernatural power of Christ to forgive myself. Because if I do it on my own, man, I live with guilt, shame, bitterness. I beat myself up. Last and I'm done. Hungry. We're going to respond to God's call on your life. In the midst of your guilt, in the midst of your shame, in the midst of beating yourself up, you're going to get back focused on the mission that Christ has for you. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. He said, you know I love you. My lamb. Again, Jesus said, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, the third time he said to him, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked for the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all the things. You know that I love you. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. In the midst of his sin, in the midst of denying Christ, in the midst of the guilt, in the midst of the shame, Jesus said, get back to fulfilling the mission I have. I, I'm not saying I'm right in this. Let me preface. But we have more pastors that come. You don't even know all the times pastors come through. 
because of my past, they come here because they know they have nowhere else to go. I always say, hey, man, how are you? Hey, I'm so and I always look at them and say, man, I need you to know something. If you don't hear anything, I don't even want to know details. If you want to meet and talk about details, we can talk about it. But God's not done with you. Back on the horse. Grady, we know Grady. We love Grady. Grady preaches for me. He's going to be preaching for me here soon. I put Grady back on this stage after about five weeks after he lost everything. He wasn't ready. Why? Peter denied him three times, and a few days later, he said, get back on the horse to feed my sheep. I'll never forget I'd lost everything. Getting my life back in order had been a few months. I said, man, you think God can ever use me? Pastor, I love and respect. My wife listens to his podcast. I listen to his podcast. I love the man. Man had a great fall, amazing, after I did. Didn't take his own advice, he gave me. Funny how that works, ain't it? I think God can remember about seven years. I thought it was just weird. It was just a pure number. Oh, some biblical reason behind I, I didn't know I was being sincere. Seven years? Why? Seems like a good time. Huh? Jesus looked at Peter and said, go feed my sheep. Go feed my lamb. He said, get back to doing what I called you to do. We take people and put them on the sidelines. And I believe, listen, listen, when someone messes up, there needs to be a time of healing. So let me make that clear. There needs to be a time of counseling. There needs to be a time of them getting to the root issue of why they did what they did. I'm not saying we ignore it. But I think the devil loves that we put broken people on the sidelines. I just see a God who used those broken people over and over and over. God's ways are not our way. God will take your mess, and it'll be your biggest ministry. This is so freaking powerful to me. Peter's blown it in the biggest possible way. He denied Christ. <coughs> he just didn't remind him of a screw-up. He already knew his screw-up. He didn't need to remind him. He feed my sheep. Go do what I called you. Jesus knew that Peter was a key part of his plan to get the gospel out to the entire world. And he knew that Peter was useless to the mission until he forgave himself of the pain. You've screwed up and you've messed up. Get back in the game. Get busy doing what God has called you to do. Because I can guarantee you God ain't called you to sit on the sidelines. I'm taking some time for myself. How about you take some time and you get busy doing what God called you to do? Ain't it funny, man? We'll burn out at work and keep on working. We'll burn out in every other area of life and we'll keep on doing it. We burn out church. I need a break. Or we we really lie to ourselves and say we've outgrown this place. You ain't outgrown crap. Let me educate you. When someone tells you they've outgrown a certain place, no, they didn't. We ought to go deeper. Deeper for what? You can't do the basics. Love God and love people. 
I always say all the time, love God, love people. Show me as your pastor that we can love God and love people unconditionally, and I will break down the book of Revelation verse by verse for you and go to every meaning and every symbolism and everything you ever want to. You want to go deep? I can go deep. Contrary to popular belief, listen, I don't talk about it. I have a doctorate in pastoral theology. I can break it down. Dr. Lamb. I'll put a suit and tie on, a pair of glasses. I'll have a whiteboard up here, and we'll break down every aspect of it. But love God, love people first. Show me you can do it. Matter of fact, I got to learn how to do it. That love God, love people thing's hard. There's times, I mean, loving God's hard at times. There's times I don't like God's plan, I don't like God's direction. I don't like the trials God's letting me go through. Sometimes I talk with God. Sometimes I fight with God. And loving people, holy smokes. They're hard. Man. Respond to God's call on your life. Man. We got to get back to doing what God called us to do. Realize everyone has sinned. Realize it. Realize everyone's sinned. You're not special because you sinned. Sorry. You're not. I wish you were. You're not. God's got a plan for your life. God loves you. Return to Him. Recognize it. And get busy doing what you were called to do. Because the enemy loves that you're ineffective with your guilt. Towards yourself. What a slap in the face of God not to forgive you when he sent his son to pay the price for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's pray.